Hello, everyone. I'm Priest Willis, and this is Missions in Marketplace podcast, episode number 27. Today, I'm joined by Nick Loper, who used to work for a giant corporation, and he built his business during nights and weekends. He is a big believer in leveraging the side hustle to bridge the gap between working for someone else and being a full-time entrepreneur like many of us. After college, he did what most people would do, and he got a corporate job, but quickly found out that he wasn't going to wait around for a gold watch. So he started to work on a side hustle by playing around and building a comparison shopping site and then created a footwear site and just unloaded with different products and different things which created extra income streams. Then he started getting questions about how do you do this side hustle stuff and this is where his real journey began with Side Hustle Nation and we'll talk about his podcast, his Facebook community page and all this other fun stuff. Nick's a great guy, great guest to talk to. Without further ado, here is my man, Nick Loper. Welcome to Missions and Marketplace Podcast. Join us as we talk to business and thought leaders to discuss their passions in and outside of business and how it drives them to give and be citizens of goodwill. Let's get started. Hey, Nick, welcome to the program. Why don't you uh, tell the people a little bit about yourself? About Nick, um, I run a site called Side Hustle Nation and a podcast called The Side Hustle Show. And really, it kind of is born out of my entrepreneurial experience, my entrepreneurial journey as a side hustler. Like I, you know, did what you're supposed to do, got a corporate job, and pretty much right out of the gate, the, the prospect of spending the next 30, 35 years here. Uh, is just not what I want to do. Like I had no interest in climbing that corporate ladder. So and was that timeline like you went to college, you found a corporate gig and almost literally within the year or two, you're like, this isn't for me? Yeah. And even probably before taking that job, I guess I always knew in the back of my head, like well, I wanted to do my own thing. I just wasn't in a position to to do that straight out of school. So yeah, I was trying to, trying to build up a business on the side, which I think, so the the entrepreneurial narrative that you hear coming out of New York and out of Silicon Valley is you're going to make the next Uber, you're going to, you know, raise millions of dollars of venture capital, you're going to be ringing the bell at the NASDAQ. And there are certainly people who do that. But I don't think that's a realistic (laughs) journey, at least it wasn't for me. I think the far more common brand of entrepreneurship is starting something small, starting something on the side, starting something low risk, low investment, and then building it up over time in your spare time. And then maybe eventually taking the leap when you have some validation, you have some traction, you can see where this thing is going. And you can imagine, hey, if I had an extra 40, 50 hours a week to pour into this, I think I can make a real run at this. That's a great way to approach it because I think people do have a misconstrued approach on what they think an entrepreneur is. I mean, they do think like if I'm not starting a new or a, um, I was going to say Yahoo, but that's not starting, it's ending, right? I mean, yeah, you're going to date yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, true. Or just starting some online business, uh, then they think they're not a true entrepreneur. But I think you're you're showing with the different things that you have, and we'll kind of get into it that, hey, an entrepreneur has many facets and still can be, you know, somebody who's working full time at their job. And, you know, all these different levels of the person that, you know, maybe disabled and at home and they want to try different stuff. But I've listened to your podcast. Again, we'll talk about a lot of stuff that you approach. But one of my questions is, how did you get into teaching others to take sort of the same steps that you're taking now, right? So you were in college, you kind of knew beforehand that you weren't going to get the gold watch at the job. You end up leaving your full-time job to start your own business and create different vehicles of business. And we'll talk about what those businesses are for you. 
But how did you then turn around and say, I want to start a podcast and I want to start a Facebook community to now share that knowledge and just create a, a tribe around it? Well, it was a lot of years in the making. And I think you have to do before you can teach. And I still don't think I'm the world's greatest teacher really, really heavily on a lot of you know awesome guests to come on and uh, kind of share their been there, done that experience. You're humble, man. You do well. Thank you. It's, I guess, a couple years ago, actually. So the site's like three years old now. And there was a lot of talk at that time about personal branding. I actually kind of found this quote after the fact to, to kind of justify what was going on. Um, it comes from Nathan Barry. He's an app developer or was an app developer and then turned around and started writing books about app design and development, stuff like that. He's like, you know, there are those who are excellent uh, producers, you know, they can do the work. And then there are the people who do the work and can teach others how to do the work. And there's an entirely new revenue stream that opens up entirely new kind of business model. And so that that appealed to me, um, and kind of had already started down that path, but it was really just kind of some soul searching of like, what am I excited about? What do I want to be known for when people Google me? You know, I never get tired about talking about like, random business ideas, business schemes, you know, startup ideas. Uh, I just love that stuff. And uh, trying to help people to maybe step back the entrepreneurial definition, you know, it's just making your own luck, like taking initiative, taking being proactive about your own financial future, and, you know, not being a a hitchhiker on that uh, on that road. So I was going to ask the question, but I think you kind of pointed to it. I was going to ask why was it important for you to start your own business, but you kind of pointed to the fact that you kind of gamble on yourself, right? Versus doing it in a corporate world. But is that ultimately what was most important to you when starting your own business was you're just going to take a shot on yourself or were there other catalysts for you? It's addicting, man. Like those first sales in any new business. I love them. They're so like kind of empowering and confidence building. Like, oh, I'm more than my job title. I Somebody paid me for my thing. And I, like I get this high, you know, in half a dozen different. So it started for me like doing this painting business in college, literally like knocking on doors and being like, hey, can I paint your house this summer? Um, My sales pitch was hopefully a little bit better than that. But, you know, here are these people like trusting you with their biggest asset. And we can you know, save the debate for whether your home is an investment or an asset um, after, for later. But, you know, to have that somebody write you, you know, a, a check for several thousand dollars was kind of a, an empowering feeling, especially for me being impressionable youth at, at 19 or 20 doing this. Uh, you, you look back at the end of the summer, you kind of had your first taste of uh, you know marketing and sales and hiring and firing and and ultimately working for profits instead of wages. And that was like a really eye opening thing. And I you know made the mistake of like underbidding every job because I was like worried I wasn't going to get enough work. But like you, you almost have to go you know through that experience to you know learn learn from your mistakes and uh, and move forward. But yeah, I absolutely loved it and uh, I wouldn't trade it. So let's talk about the transition from your full-time gig to kind of your your own personal stuff. Sure. And let's talk about those initial sales that you talked about getting excited about. What were those initial sales like and were they in multiple different niches or did you initially launch out on just one product or one platform or something along those lines? So the question is, what did those initial sales look like and what did you launch out doing? So after the painting business, the original side hustle was a kind of a footwear comparison shopping business that would uh, make finders fees, commissions from Zappos, from Amazon, like from these other online footwear retailers. And how that got started was... Was that affiliate based? Yes, 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 yes. So I would like link, direct link on Google ads for some specific model of shoe. So it was like New Balance, you know, five, seven, eight, you know, women's or something like that. Like very specific, like here's, you know, and direct link to the 
retailer, uh, you know, whoever I could find with the best price with my affiliate link. I started out with a budget of like $1 a day because I was like, oh, this might work, this might not. But ultimately that turned out to be pretty profitable because it was like very, very targeted keywords. And New Balance was great for that, by the way, because I have like, you know, very specific model numbers. It was easy to do. After I had some validation there, I was having a hard time growing and expanding that because like, you know, the prices would change all the time, stuff would go out of stock. So I thought, okay, the best way to scale this is going to be to build out like a legit website, like a comparison shopping site, except, you know, niche it down specifically for shoes. We can aggregate everybody's catalog. You know, we can have all the stores on one page. It's going to be easy. And it definitely helped. There's still the same issues of, you know, data changing and stuff going out of stock, especially with footwear. You know, so we turned over, you know, one to 2% of the database, like every day, if you let it go a day, if you let it go two days, not a huge deal. If you let it go a week, all of a sudden, you're spending some money on ads for stuff that's out of stock. And that's, it's expensive. But that was kind of like the, um, you know, firing bullets before cannonballs in good to great speak testing that idea very, very cheaply and kind of a low risk way before making the big cannonball bet on uh, having that website built out. So you went to comparison shopping sort of sites. Did you build multiple ones or was it just that one that you focused on for footwear? So that was the main focus. I built one for sandals, which was kind of dumb. It's like, it's not even a different enough vertical. I don't know why I did that. I built one for handbags because everyone, you know, a lot of the same advertisers, a lot of the same stores also sell, sold handbags and luggage. And I didn't really do enough validation of that market before building that site out because there was like such a wide width of different sellers. And so it was kind of a different challenge on the data processing side. And on top of that, the commissions were lower and it never ended up working out. So that was a big, kind of a big expensive mistake where I probably should have just doubled down on on what was actually working. So when you were working your full-time job, you must have been realizing some kind of money for this comparison shopping site. And then you said, forget it. It's time for me to go. And that's when you really branched off and kind of did your own thing with this site. Is that true? Yeah. So probably it was three years of nights and weekends of doing the shoe site before I quit the day job. And probably stuck around longer than I needed to or longer than most people would just by nature of being somewhat risk averse and wanting to see like a good revenue track record, good revenue history. Kind of like, oh, I want to replace, you know, our I want to be able to cover our fixed expenses, you know, for six or 12 months or I want to you know replace my day job salary for a history of six or 12 months. And then and then make that leap. Other people are, you know, and God bless them. Like that first that first month, they start to see some traction. Like that's it, I'm out of here. Um, but I was in, you know, I didn't hate the day job. Like it wasn't like a painful, painful experience. And so I was like, okay, you know, I can use this to kind of build up some extra runway. So what do you think are some steps for those who may be in a similar position, and maybe they're not even making that level of money that they even can think about quitting? But what do you think people should be looking at? before they decide to leave their full-time job? Like you were maybe a little bit more risk adverse where you wanted to really compare, is this going to at the very least cover my fixed expenses? But you know, what are some of the top items people should really consider before leaving their job? Well, everybody wants to replace their salary, replace their income. But the number you really have to look at is your expenses. And this kind of goes back to the rich dad, poor dad stuff. So once you have income from assets or income from a business that's covering your expenses, like you were kind of out of that rat race. Like you don't need that day job anymore, you know, provided everything continues uh, the way it has. So I think, you know, mind your expenses, keep your expenses low. I I talked to a guy, this was kind of a heartbreaking call uh, last year, who was like, I need to make 10 grand a month in the next 45 days, you know, starting from essentially scratch. It's like, you know, why? (laughs) Um, Like, you know, just like that lifestyle creep of, 
you know, continuing to living up to and in some cases beyond your means. And then if anything happens to that income source, which for most people is their job, like that's just really, really scary to me. It's like, don't don't let yourself get into that position. It makes it so much easier um, and so so much more flexible to to make a transition uh, outside of work. Were you faced with anything when you first left your job and you went into your own business that just slapped you in the face and you weren't expecting? So, dude, did we talk about this before? This is like the perfect <laughs> setup, especially especially uh, with the slap metaphor. Because I got Google slapped on my first day of uh, of retirement, my first day of self-employment. Are you kidding me? I had just like, I don't know, I literally just had turned in the keys to my company car. And this is like summer 2008. So the economy is just going to hell. I'm like, what? did I do? They shut down my advertising account and said, hey, this site is not a quality experience for our users. You can't advertise with us anymore. It's like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm giving you and your shareholders thousands of dollars per month. You know, I've served thousands of happy customers for the last two years. You never had a problem with this. You have got to be kidding me. You go through the seven stages of anger and denial and all this stuff. And they don't really tell you what they want to see other than, hey, this is an affiliate bridge page or a thin content page. And, you know, the sole purpose of your site existing is to drive traffic to other sites. And I was like, true, Google, yes, but look, take a look in the mirror. The sole purpose of your search engine is to drive traffic to other sites. They didn't like that too much. So we kind of spent all summer beefing up the site, like adding more content to the pages. When you have half a million shoes, you can't write, you know, unique content for every single shoe. So it's still going to be a data driven site or data feed driven site, but adding more internal links to kind of balance out the external links that were on the pages and uh, doing some stuff like that. And they came back three months later. They say, oh, it looks like we made an error. You're good to go. It's like, oh my gosh, you're kidding me. But for three months, you were essentially down. So if you were Google slapped, you were de-indexed by Google, essentially. Yeah. So that was 80% of... It was a it was a, a paid search, so it was an AdWords penalty, which didn't impact the organic results, which there wasn't really much organic traffic anyway. So I still had Ying, uh, Yahoo and Bing, so probably pre Bing at this point, but still had Yahoo. But it was like yeah, twenty percent or eighty percent of the traffic and revenue was like gone instantly. It was like oh my god, very scary times. Um, but it's kind of like one of those sink or swim moments. You're like, dude, I I'm glad I quit when I did because like that really shook me. And I don't know if I would have, I don't know if I would have made the leap had I waited another couple of weeks. So yeah, that, that kind of brings me to one of the common themes uh, on Side Hustle Nation of like diversifying your income streams, you know, focus on one project, one business at a time, but like once that's up and running, okay, how can I invest those proceeds into building, you know, something new or, you know, something to uh, hedge my bets a little bit. And do you take revenue from outside your business? And this may be a little personal, but I'm going to ask it. Do you take revenue and invest some of that into like accounts like Betterman or do something that's even another level of hustle, if you will? So I'm always telling people like, look, have your side hustles, but also pull some of that money aside because I'm a believer of pouring it back into the business, but I'm also a believer of investing somewhere you can. So do you have any Betterment accounts or anything like that that you invest funds into? Yeah. So we use Betterment. We use, uh, so I have some in like prosper.com, like for peer-to-peer loans, um, and then just kind of have like a self-employed 401k. But I think you touched on an important point of like, yeah, reinvest into your business, but also like take some money off the table or at least put it into I don't know. We we can always debate like how safe the the markets really are. Uh, they've been safe the last eight years, but you know who knows what's going to happen tomorrow. There's kind of like three tiers of financial 
independence, right? You know, the first tier may be, okay, I can cover my bills with my day job. Like I'm doing great. You know, tier two is, hey, I can cover my bills with my my business. I'm doing great. And tier three, you know, the, the final tier, the, you know, financial freedom hammocks on the beach tier is like, oh, I can pay my bills with my investments. I'm living off the interest, essentially. That's what we're working on now. The, and the reason why I'm bringing it up and bringing it up at this time is because a lot of us as entrepreneurs, we tend to get so caught up and wrapped up in owning the business and trying to see it come to fruition and trying to bring it to other levels, depending on where you are, that we tend to forget that there's other opportunities that are also hustles within themselves, like opening up low index funds and and trying to you know have your money, make money. And even if that's at a low level, just having the discipline to take some of those funds and invest it, you have to start now. Otherwise, when you start making more and more money, a million dollars or whatever it may be, if that's something you're going for, you won't have the discipline to do it then either. So now what's, what's your take on this? Because I think there are ways, if you're just starting out, I think you know, investing $100 isn't that exciting for 7% a year. I think there are ways to turn that over a lot faster. So what do you, what, what do you think? Like if somebody is like, ah, I don't have that much to invest, would you like allocate even small amounts to make sure you kind of seed those accounts? Or would you say, hey, here's how you can, you know, flip products or here's how you can accelerate that a little bit. So it's a really good point that you're bringing up here. So I do believe that there is a level where some of that money, but, but it depends on the level of how much people are willing to hustle, right? So some people aren't willing to put together Amazon books and other things that I would maybe take $100, find somebody to help me write a book, put it out that way, and then use that as kind of generating sales and income versus throwing it out on Betterment, which I would get a smaller amount of return on theoretically. But people don't have that go get them and they'll just leave it sit in the account. And I'm saying if that is the case, then at least try to find other avenues like Betterment to put it into. But yeah, there are levels to what I would consider to be a true investment, right? I don't think $100 is going to make or break your situation. I talked I talked to a guy uh, yesterday or actually earlier this week who had a really successful side business just flipping electronics. Like you, you know, source them locally on Craigslist or whatever and then turn around and sell them on Amazon or on eBay rather. And, you know, he's like talking with his aunt or somebody and he's like, you know, investing in CDs where, okay, five years later, they're going to give you like a 2% return. He's like, oh my God, give that money to me. I could turn it over so many times in five years. And you brought up the house point earlier. I'm one of the guys that's a firm believer that the house, unlike, you know, X amount of years ago, is not as much of an asset as people might think after you really weigh out the cost. But again, that could be debated based on where you live and some other things. But you know, if you're going to be a renter and kind of be under a certain percentage, you could totally take that money that you would have paid in between home ownership fees and whatever and use that as a portion of your investment and continue renting. So I'm that guy that kind of follows that rule of thumb. And speaking of people, Nick, I know you interview a lot of people on your side hustle podcast, and I want to make sure that people go check it out. What is the common thread that you've heard from the people that you interview? What kind of makes them tick and what separates them from those that have success and not? So when you hear all these stories about people that have tried this, is it persistence or what? what is it that keeps resonating with you as you talk to more and more entrepreneurs? There are there are quite a few common themes, a couple that stand out. So I ask people, hey, what's your number one piece of advice? Um, the most common, by far the most common thing that people say, hey, just do it, just get started, which is easy to say and hard to do Like if you don't have an idea. So one of the, you know, kind of common success themes that I see is tapping into pre-existing marketplaces. So I just gave the example of eBay. You gave the example of putting books on Amazon. You know, these are kind of peer-to-peer platforms that have been around now 20 years, but there are, you know, with 
the, the sharing economy or the peer-to-peer economy, there are hundreds of these different platforms where you can put your buy buttons and have an opportunity for people to do business with you. And they're marketplaces of buyers. Like I'm not going on Amazon expecting to get something for free. I'm going on there, you know, in most cases to solve a problem. And if you can help me do that with your book or uh, Udemy, if you can help me do that uh, with your course, I think you're setting yourself up for success. And a lot of these are quote unquote passive income marketplaces where you know you build that asset once and sell it over and over again. And and maybe if I could dive a little deeper with that, and I know it's a loaded question, but what do you think are maybe the top three or four side niches right now? Based on all the people that you've talked to on your podcast, and I've heard of many with different, you know, things that they're working on. What are, you know, three or four that you've been able to pull from that that you thought were like, you know, if the listeners are listening now, maybe try this. This is a hot niche right now. Uh, so Amazon is definitely the hottest, um, the hottest thing going, kind of like tapping into the e-commerce revolution without having to build a storefront of your own and attract customers of your own necessarily. You can tap into their, you know, whatever it is, worldwide 300 million verified credit card accounts um, and tap into the searches that are already going on over there. If you can come up with your own kind of unique pivot or twist on a, an existing product and manufacture it, there's there's some startup costs involved with that that are like a lot of people don't really think about. Like if I'm going to bring my own product to market, like, you know, and buy 500 units, that could cost several thousand dollars. The cheaper way to get started would be you call the the retail arbitrage method, which I don't know if that's something that you've covered on your show, but I've done this just like while I'm out shopping, like if I'm at Home Depot, if I'm at Walmart or something like, oh, just let me swing by the clearance section, pull out my Amazon app and my Amazon seller app and just, hey, see what this item is going for online. And the general rule is if I can double my money and if it has a sales rank less than 100,000, the sales rank is an indicator of how fast it's going to turn. Yeah, I'll go ahead and buy that, send that into Amazon. They, they do the fulfillment for you. That's kind of, that's why uh, that business is attractive. So I think that's a popular one. Um, honestly, Craigslist has come up again and again and again. And this is, I mean, it's one of the top 10 sites in the country in terms of traffic. So lots and lots of eyeballs there, um, both for people acquiring inventory to kind of uh, buy low and sell high and uh, to turn inventory over to sell it and to sell services actually. Like, hey, I'm, you know, do small business marketing. I do social media consulting. I do copywriting for car dealer, you know, whatever random uh, service business it is. You know, I do house cleaning, even like local services, um, kind of a co- common thread, surprisingly common thread on uh, on Craigslist comes up over and over again. And um, I'm trying to think what else goes like uh, Udemy we mentioned is I think was better. So I've been on Udemy for the past uh, 18 months or so and actually was earning pretty solid revenue, like, you know, between two and 600 bucks a month on average. And then they changed their pricing scheme in April and it's kind of taken a dive. So I'm curious to see where that goes. But lots of marketplaces. One that we talk about on the show a handful of times is Fiverr. That was like the marketplace of goods and services starting at $5. You know, I wouldn't go too crazy trying to sell services, but if you have some like digital asset you can make and then, you know, sell some, something that requires your time in the, in the upsells and gig extras, I think that's still a kind of a compelling place to look. No, I actually opened up a Fiverr to do like small business consulting because of your show. Oh, nice. Yeah. I just wanted to test it out. I've never played in Fiverr outside of being a buyer, but I wanted to flip it a little bit and be a seller. So I just threw myself out to do some small business consulting, nothing serious, not expecting to do anything big. We'll 
we'll see what happens there. And that's very recent. So I haven't had any hits there. So I was going to ask if you got any, you got any, any gigs yet? No gigs yet. And again, it's probably I've had it up for about a week now, maybe. Oh, OK. So it's new. Yeah, it's very new. So we'll, we'll see what happens. But those are three really good ones. Now, Craigslist, I would have never kind of guessed that one that somebody could kind of build kind of a small side hustle under that. So that's a really good one. Me neither. And, and the funny thing is, so it's like using these um, networks and platforms to kind of leapfrog your business, like get that initial traction. Like Upwork is another popular one. It's like the largest online freelancing marketplace where it's like, okay, I'm trying to, you know, build my portfolio, get some clients under my belt. And then, you know, I can kind of establish my own brand, my own storefront after that. Yeah, I love Upwork. I use Upwork with, um, you know, some of our people that we work with to help us on the site, you know, with content and other stuff. I use Upwork to outsource to the Philippines and different areas, which I'm very transparent about. I love Upwork, maybe on the flip side, not necessarily putting my services out there, but using the services has been great for me. You know, Nick, just to kind of wrap up here towards the end, but can you tell us what are some sites, apps that the person that's working on the side can use? So we just talked about Upwork, but what are maybe some others to help them be more efficient? You know, a lot of entrepreneurs sometimes were the accountant, were the janitor, were the SEO guy, were the PPC guy. But what are some sites outside of Upwork and maybe Fiverr? Um, those are two I know we can use that we can leverage to kind of help us be, you know, just better entrepreneurs. Like productivity apps or more like marketplaces? Like maybe Maybe both, you know, so if there's some good productivity apps out there that can help, that'd be great. And then maybe just some marketplace pieces that we could use. So I'm actually like not big on productivity apps. Like I don't use Todoist or, or Evernote or anything like that. Just kind of old fashioned pen and paper here. But one thing that I do do is I have set up uh, through a, a service called Nudge Mail and uh, combine that with Google Docs form. And I'll kind of I did a little write up on how to set this up so I can link that um, or send that link to you. But basically it gets uh, I get an email every night that says what made today awesome. And it asks, say, hey, what did you get done today? So that's kind of the productivity element because I know that's coming to my inbox every night and I got to be able to answer that even though no one else is reading it. Uh, what made today awesome? What would have made today better? And one thing that I recently added to that was kind of a, a sliding 10 point scale. How happy are you today? And the reason for that is if you want to run experiments like what would happen if I work out every day? What would happen if I meditate every day? What would happen if I took cold showers every day? And see if that has like a measurable impact on that happiness factor. And if it does, great. I'll keep doing it. If it doesn't, like, okay, that was not worth it. So that's, that's kind of one productivity or kind of gratitude tracking thing. I'm actually putting together a monster resource on kind of like all of these peer-to-peer -peer platforms uh, that people can check out. Um, hopefully I have that done for you by the time this is live. And I think it's actually going to turn into a, a new book project. Pretty excited about it. But there are there are tons of these. So like the Airbnbs of the world, the Ubers of the world, the Lyfts of the world, like all of these different ones where it's like, hey, I can earn money in my spare time as, you know, set my own schedule. A couple that I found uh, just recently were like tutoring platforms. Like oh, I can help people learn English or whatever foreign languages I teach. I can do Skype lessons. I was looking for calculus tutors near us in California. People were charging like 40 to 60 bucks an hour and they had like half a dozen reviews on the platform. Like somebody's hiring these guys. This is kind of cool. And it's like, okay, I can do this in, in person. I can do this online. I can set my own schedule. Somebody stopped by the blog yesterday. He said he makes 50 to 100 grand a year doing parking lot cleanup. And this absolutely blew my mind. He's like, oh, shopping centers and industrial parks and stuff. 
they can't be bothered with, you know, cleaning up their parking lot for trash. And so they contract that out to a third party. It's like, I just go for a walk every evening and clean up the trash in these parking lots. And they pay me this recurring contract. I was like, oh my gosh, this is fascinating. Oh, wow. It's, it's amazing. This goes back to what you were talking about earlier, but it's amazing how many different side hustles are out there that are unimaginable to people. And sometimes you're going to have to use your imagination because we're always looking for that home run, that Uber and stuff that you brought up. But, you know, look at this parking lot where this guy kind of goes as a as a third party and cleans up. I've, I would have never I would have never walked past a parking lot. Now I will. But I would have never walked past a parking lot and said, I wonder if they need a cleanup guy just to straighten things up here. That's look, that's why I love Nick's show, guys, because he does present a lot of different entrepreneurs and people with side hustles that you would have never thought of. Some of the ones are ones that he mentioned about Amazon, but there are others out there that are really like, I would have never thought of this one. So you have the podcast where you're talking to entrepreneurs, you're doing your own side stuff. And again, we'll have a link for you guys to check out the website. And he's actually on there hitchhiking too. We (laughs) talked about hitchhiking earlier. So I thought that was interesting. Tell us how you unplug, man. I mean, you talked about taking cold showers, which I've read on the Side Hustle Nation Facebook page before, which I thought was a really interesting concept. Don't know if I'm going to do it. Matter of fact, <laughs> scratch that. I know I'm not going to do it. <laughs> and, um, and you know, meditation. But do you really incorporate all those things in the just being a better entrepreneur? Because I know entrepreneurs deal heavily in a lot of areas with anxiety and stuff. And a lot of it is because you're so tied in. How do you untie? How do you unplug? I want to ask you the same question. Um, I'm having a hard time with that, especially with, um, so we've got a four-month-old in the house. And I found my, my hustle time you diminished. Not as much lately now the kids in daycare, but still, you know, I have some anxiety over all the stuff that I want to get done. And because I really love the work, it doesn't necessarily feel like work, but I have probably some self-imposed. I understand like nobody is like sitting there hitting refresh in their inbox being like, why hasn't, why hasn't Nick sent out my newsletter this week? What's going on? Like, I know that's not happening, but I have it set up in my mind to be like, hey, I'm committed to do this every Thursday. Like, let's get it done. Yeah, I know. I'm like, I know in my mind, like no one is sitting there in their inbox refreshing being like, where's my, where's my newsletter from Nick? But it's like, hey, this is something that, at least in my mind, like I've committed to do every Thursday. And, you know, when I get to it late or I don't get to do it at all, like that causes me some anxiety. And it's, it's kind of tough because it's a, it's a business that's always on, but it's a business that like I genuinely love to do. So there's like all these projects that I want to tackle. The bigger challenge is, you know, how to prioritize those and how to find the uh, help to delegate where there's opportunities to delegate. But it's just... I don't know. I think I have a hard time uh, really, really, you know, going off the grid because I have anxiety over like, oh my gosh, I haven't checked my inbox in three hours and, and stuff like that. One thing that's helpful is just blocking off time on the calendar to, you know, get outside, take a walk with the dog and, and the baby at this point, uh, you know, go to the city with my wife. You know, we still travel quite a bit. I don't know. That's something that's definitely an area I need to improve on. I do too. And so, you know, I've, I've had discussions with other people about, you know, work-life balance. And first of all, I've already resigned to the fact that there's no real such thing as work-life balance, right? You just kind of, you're finding a way to be smarter with the chaos there. That's been kind of my approach to it. But um, in general, I probably have some of the same anxieties that's been somewhat self-imposed. Now, I, you know, I try to meditate a little bit or be still in my office at times. And, you know, I go on two mile walks every day, or at least I try. 
But honestly, you know, there's no real way to pull out unless you're going to pull out because I go on family car trips and you have a much different situation. You have a four month old, which is alone, a hustle within itself. And I mean the word hustle, the definition in every way, because I have four kids so that, you know, I understand I've been there. You know, at some point, you you do just kind of have to break away mentally. And I don't know if I figured it out either. And after speaking to all the entrepreneurs that I have, and I'm sure you have, everybody has good ways to kind of manage it. But I don't think anyone has found something to say, here is the silver bullet, because only Nick knows Nick's time and you can only manage it in a certain way. And you kind of have to be at peace at what it is and who you are and what you're going to be to the business. And that's really what I resign myself to, right or wrong, right now. That's that's kind of where I'm at, Nick. So yeah, it's frustrating to have all these ideas and then like not be able to act on them. But it's like so. It's, my new rule is like if something sits on my to do list for more than three weeks without getting acted on, okay, by definition, I haven't made it that big of a priority. So it's probably not likely to get done anyway. So I just kind of you know I'll keep those super super back burner like in you know an old Google Doc that I that I maintain. But it's like okay, I'm getting it off the list to kind of rid myself of that mental clutter in the in the meantime. But I do. Like like what you brought up earlier, which I'm a fan of too. Um, you said, look, I don't get into Evernote and all that other stuff. I don't get wrapped up in like the new Evernotes and not to say that Slack and Evernote and all that kind of stuff doesn't work for people. I just try not to get wrapped up in it for the point that we're talking about right now about unplugging and having too much noise to begin with. I try to keep it really simple with Google Docs myself. I try to work with my virtual assistant and, and tell her what I need and keep it there and just compartmentalize certain things things, but I don't need to add extra stuff because you'll start having, you'll have the Slack app for the Slack app. And next thing you know, you're going down a, a very vicious dark hole. So I'm careful of that too. Trying to be mindful of, uh, of the less is more. Yeah. So Nick, you've been awesome. Tell the people how they can reach you. How could, you know, what's the best way to contact you? They want to hear more about your podcast. Where can they go? Where, how can they reach you on Twitter? Feel free to share that. Um, hit me up. I'm uh, at N Loper on Twitter, N-L-O-P-E-R. If you hit up sidehustlenation.com slash ideas, you'll have kind of a constantly updated laundry list of different part-time ideas uh, that you can try today. Nick, you've been great. I appreciate your time. Thank you, sir. Hey, thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Missions and Marketplace. If you have a brand or business that you want to take online or you're already online and looking for more exposure, visit us at affiliatemission.com, the premier affiliate marketing and management agency. Also feel free to get social with us and check our Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter pages and share with us your story on how you're leaving a mark in the world. I'm the best ever. My style is impetuous. My defense is impregnable and I'm just ferocious. <laughs> Yeah.